and welcome to another episode of PhD Pending, the podcast for early career humanities scholars. My name is Anne Mahler and I have a PhD in English Literature. Together we will deep dive into different aspects of PhD life and explore what it really means to do a PhD in the humanities. My guest today is Dr. Catherine Mansfield, and no, not the author, one of my best and oldest friends from Bristol University when I did my master's. Catherine, welcome to the show. Tell our listeners who you are, what you do. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, yeah, so as Anne said, we met when we were doing our master's um, in English literature at Bristol University. Um, prior to that, I did my MA in English literature with gender studies at Swansea University. And then I did my PhD, which focused on late Victorian literature at Cardiff University. Um, so I basically just travelled up and down the M4 um, <laughs> for my for my three degrees. Um, uh, and now I so I, I haven't continued um, in an academic career. So I now work um, in the civil service um, in research funding. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's everything about me. Amazing. And we've been friends for years and years. We're both Bristol survivors. We have loads. Yeah. We had loads of Bristol survivors on. <laughs> and... Um, in today's episode, Kath and I want to take you along when we reflect on how we managed to finish our PhDs in three years. Catherine was my role model coming out of the master's <laughs> and going into the PhD because obviously I took a two-year break, but you went straight from your MA or from our MA into your PhD. So you were already applying for PhD programs when... I just barely got settled and had written my first <laughs> MA essay. Like you were already on it with your PhD proposal. So just a little disclaimer before we get into it. Of course, every program is different. And just because it worked for us doesn't mean that it works for you. Um, it's not the universal thing. We are aware that all the PhD systems are different. But for us here in the UK and in Ireland, usually it's a four-year program um funded or unfunded depending on and we'll dive deeper into that in just a bit and you and I managed to do it in three quarters of the time <laughs> so maybe the first thing that we can talk about so you started your PhD way before me when mm -hmm. you started to map out kind of the roadmap of how you wanted your PhD to go was it always that you wanted to go for like a three-year instead of a four-year situation yeah Yeah, so so one, I guess, to, you know, as a disclaimer, so I was unfunded. So I, mm -hmm. like, you know, self-funded my own PhD. So I think, and maybe we'll kind of touch on that a bit more, but I think that definitely had a bit of an influence definitely. on that. But when I started my PhD, I also kind of knew that I didn't want to become an academic, become a lecturer. I kind of always knew that I was using the PhD to go and do something else, I guess, kind of like life skills in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that as well really motivated me to try and do it in the three years um because I knew that I wanted to go on and do something else and I was going to need a different set of skills or some different set of experience to be able to do that so mm. yeah I was quite quite motivated what about you because <laughs> you also did yours in three years I know yeah I think similarly to you right um I would have loved to stay in academia but at the same time I think you and I are both very realistic in terms of what yeah. academia offers Mm -hmm. And um, it's just not feasible at the moment to stay in academia if you, you know, if you have like certain other things that you want to achieve in your life in terms of like personal life, where you want to live, the kind of security that you want to have. So I was always quite yeah. realistic about the fact that I wouldn't stay in academia. 
Um, that was one of the deciding factors. And also the fact that I was partially unfunded. So my fees were funded, but nothing else was. So yeah. my fees were funded for three years and that was it. And I just couldn't financially handle an additional year of fees. So mm-hmm. from the outset, I knew it had to be three years and I had to work around those three years and make it work within that time. And then obviously once you submit, you have this like grace period between your submission and your viva where you don't have to pay, right? Um, yeah. So I was kind of calculating that in. Um, but that's kind of where I'm, where I came from. And I wasn't really aware that you could like necessarily push it to four years. I think in my department, a lot of people with full funding push to four years. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Cause actually the funding in the UK is going to be four for four years yeah. with the hope that now students will do kind of other things. So whether that's maybe being able to attend more conferences mm. um, or actually going out and just getting some work experience in something, you know, completely different. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Which is really interesting. And I think it's great that it, that it's going that way. And I think I would have really benefited, but I think I was very much like you. Mm. My department didn't necessarily want people to do it for four years. Cause I think oh. that might, you know, reflect badly on them. So it wasn't really known that that fourth year didn't maybe technically have to pay for it. And so I, like you, kind of felt that pressure to be like, no, okay, I need to get it in in the three years because that's what I can afford. Um, You know, having to go on for that fourth year and, you know, pay for fees and things like that would have been a massive stretch. And also we both viewed it as kind of like one of the steps to move towards something else. Absolutely. There was more, maybe there was more urgency for us to finish it in this shorter time frame yeah. because it wasn't like a means to an end. It was, but it also, it wasn't in an academic sense that we wanted to get like more publishing under our belts to like then have enough on our academic CV to move into an academic position, obviously. Yeah. And um, maybe that's something that we can touch on now in terms of like, Obviously, three years, if you condense the work of like a four year program into three, that is quite, quite a stretch, right? (laughs) And you were teaching at the time, but you also worked Mm -hmm. part time. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I had a part time job where I kind of worked Fridays and Saturdays. And that was basically just to fund the PhD. Yeah, Um, that that was a means to the end. definitely wouldn't go back to my retail days <laughs> um, and then yes and then I also um, taught um, as well at, at university um, there was a program where you could get a, a teaching fellow qualification um, so you had to do some coursework and then you also had to do a certain um, amount of hours of teaching as well so um, I also you know completed that because I'm I always advocate kind of keeping your options open so even though I was pretty sure I didn't want to continue in academia it was nice to know that I kind of had that to fall back on. So if actually I'd got to the end of the PhD and was like, no, I want to do more, then I still had that teaching qualification, which would have been, or, or is, um, you know, like a kind of added bonus to my CV, I guess. That makes sense. To me, like for me, obviously I took the two years out where I tried to figure out mm-hmm. what I actually wanted to do my PhD in. Because obviously you knew exactly what you wanted to do, right? <laughs> and I struggled to come up with a topic and I that was always my big downfall too. When they asked us to come up with our own essay topics, I would struggle 
so much. <laughs> <laughs> so it took me ages to come up with a PhD topic. And I used those two years of me struggling to find a topic to also work in retail and to save up that money. Yeah. So what you did in the three years, I kind of took the two years before my three years to like yeah. save money to be able to afford rent and all that good stuff. And obviously move to Ireland from Germany um to do it that way but you did it all at once so let's talk a small bit about how you managed your time because <laughs> obviously I was there we like we were very close friends we were in contact yeah. all the time like I knew how you structured your days and I feel like yeah. a couple of people in our departments respectively look at us as these like little productivity unicorns <laughs> It's always that like that question in the job interview isn't it about like you know um kind of time management and uh -huh. being organized and I'm like I just am like sometimes I just don't know how I do it yeah. like that's just how I work like for me if I get set an essay I need to start writing on that straight away yeah the fear it gives me when people leave it to like the night before and I know it works for people like it really works for people then that's absolutely fine but the fear that that instills in me <laughs> I could just never could never live like that nope no nope. um no not at all but I so I I very much approached the PhD with a kind of set uh writing like word limit for each year right um and my kind of overall plan was to pretty much write the PhD in the first and second year and then leave the third year for like editing and kind of going back um, and rewriting sections particularly as I started writing with the introduction which I think is quite unusual um, I don't know many other people who did that um, so I was aware although that worked really well for me as like setting the groundwork mm. of what I was doing I was aware that when I'd finished that was then going to take a lot of revision because the PhD naturally like changes as you write it yeah. um, so that was kind of you know my overall plan I knew um, you know with my part-time retail job I knew which days um, you know I wouldn't be available to do anything on my PhD um, and so then I just kind of worked worked around that really with kind of with my writing targets I would say like I definitely slipped into the third year of still writing my PhD yeah. I you know didn't have the whole year um for editing but it was enough of a buffer that meant I could still finish you know on time so on the ground tangible what does that look like or what did that look like on your day-to-day -day? so if you would take us just through like a normal work day of your PhD yeah. or like work week even also accounting yeah. for your retail job, of course. What would that look like? So, like, the, I think the best piece of advice that I got, and I got it off my supervisor, was treat a PhD like a nine-to-five job. Yeah. And I really, really took that on board. Yeah. So I basically did work every single day, and I'll be totally honest, I definitely worked Sundays as well. Right. Like, nine-to-five. So got up in the morning... Uh, obviously it would vary like where I was on the PhD but let's say effectively from nine to five was like writing researching on the PhD um, and then obviously I took Fridays and Saturdays um, like off mm. um, I would I wouldn't work in the evenings it just doesn't work for me to be honest I get to about three half three and that's the end of my productivity I'm much much better like in the mornings mm. um so that would be kind of how I would focus um but also in treating the PhD like a nine-to-five job I also gave myself almost like a kind of holiday allowance oh, so okay. I kind of I didn't you know I, I didn't kind of count or like book it off as such 
But, you know, I made sure that kind of throughout that year, I took like weeks off to go on holiday, or I took like days off to go out, you know, like days out with friends and things like that. Um, so, you know, I did have, I did have that balance. I think on reflection, you know, it's a lot of work, like when you kind of say it out loud, you know, it's basically working seven days a week. Yeah. But, you know, the PhD was a real kind of passion project. So it doesn't always feel like work. Some of those chapters felt like work, but not all of them. <laughs> My second chapter definitely felt like work, yeah. especially the two times that I had to rewrite it after the first. <laughs> what is it about second chapters? Because I would say exactly the same about Bloody mine. Hell. Um, one of my colleagues described the second chapter like, imagine you're an artist and you have a best-selling first album yeah. and you need to come up with your second album. Which needs to be just similar enough to the first one that people recognize it, but different and unique in a way that it's still going to be and innovative enough that it's still going to be the next step up in selling. And I think that is just so, like, that is such a sweet, soft spot to get. Yeah. So tough. Like, it is. to me, it was like the, one of the toughest things. Yeah. But then it's weird because once you've done that, actually then you don't have that same experience with, say, like, the third and the fourth chapter, yeah. depending on how many chapters you have. Yeah. But it is that second one, kind of, after you've written the first, that you're suddenly like, what is this all about? It's that second year slump. And yeah. we've done an episode on this, like, way, way back in the day, but it's so real. And whoever I talk to who's doing a PhD, everyone feels that second year slump. Yeah. And that's why I keep banging on about put as much work as you can into that first year. Because Absolutely. it is going to hit in your tool. Like, yeah. you will hit a wall. Yeah. And, and write stuff in your first year as well. Yeah. I had a lot of people who... Um, and it came from supervisors as well. Who was like, no, take your first year to just, like, read and research. Mm. And, like, get the foundations of, like, what you need. And that's fine. But you can't do that for a whole PhD project. You can only really do that for, like, a chapter at a time. Yeah. And I think, you know getting a serious amount of words on paper in your first year even if you know that they're going to take revision I think that's such a help yeah. because I completely agree about you know the second year slump and I think if you can look back and see what you've done that's it's such a boost it is yeah and that's actually a great follow-up question because obviously people just like you said they work in ways where it's like they research everything, they take notes, and then they do this bulk write-up in inverted commas yeah. where they just sit down in like three days and because they have everything so mapped out in their notes, they just take like two or three days to write up 15,000 words, for example, one entire chapter. Um, yeah. I've been very vocal that I research as I go because my memory is so 100%. bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I do exactly the same. So I do exactly right. the same. Yeah, And I, I couldn't... I couldn't have sat down for weeks and weeks on end and just read and researched and taken notes. Like I have to start writing and then kind of see where that takes me and then see where there are gaps in my research yeah. and where I need to kind of go and do other things or, you know, actually being like, no, I need to take a pause here because I need to go to an archive or I need to go and talk to somebody else about this. Um, yeah, I I'm completely the same as you on this. <laughs> and that's why my word counts, like my daily word counts, weren't really that high. Like, even, yeah. even just breaking it down, I would work like every day for from Monday to Friday. Mm -hmm. But my words were like 400 to 800 a day, which isn't yeah. a lot. But when you account for the fact that you're also doing research at the same time, 
400 words can be quite a lot, like one paragraph a day. You know, it does it does start to add up after a while. Because like when you think about it, then that's like, let me do my math. That is 2,000 a week. That comes out to like half a chapter a month, right? Yeah. Which, yeah. if you constant, consistently and constantly keep at it, that's really yeah. not that bad. Yeah. It doesn't sound I like think, a lot, but it just keeps adding up. I think I always tried to write at least something every single day, mm. even if that was only like three sentences or even if it was kind of identifying a really good quote, whether it was from primary material or secondary material, mm. and getting that down on, on paper. Yeah. I think that's always really good. You know, staring at a blank screen is, is n- never a good thing. Just get something down. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Just put something down on paper, and I think that really helps. Exactly. Now, you did work seven days a week, and obviously, um, nine-to-five job, but you also had your part-time retail job. And in terms of just feeling exhausted and just the mental health fallout of that and also the physical fallout because obviously you were sitting at your desk you know five days mm-hmm. a week but then you were also in retail standing and like it's physically taxing um can you just tell us a bit more about your coping mechanisms like what you do to obviously you had your occasional day off which is great but what would you do like on the day-to-day or like weekly to make sure that you had that balance of like time off and time to recharge and relax, but then also to work for your PhD, but also in retail? Yeah, such a good question. I think just like taking regular breaks throughout the day. So whether that's to go and get a cup of coffee or to ring a friend or something like that and not not feel that like you're tied to the desk. I think I definitely struggled with that to start off with, to be like, no, I must sit at the desk and I must be working. Mm. And actually I very quickly realised that if I was having that like mind block and I couldn't get anything down on paper to take five minutes to like go outside or do something else, I would come back so refreshed and that idea would just click in my head and then I'd be able to do something. So like definitely a big, big advocate for kind of taking, taking those breaks and also doing other things as well. So, you know, alongside writing the PhD, I went to lots of conferences and gave conference papers. Um, and I, you know, wrote a couple of things for publication and, while that is all really helpful in kind of building up, I guess, your CV and your your network, it's also really nice to do something a little bit different. So I think, you know, don't put pressure on yourself to go to a load of conferences, but actually see them as something that's benefiting you, but is kind of giving you that almost like slight kind of, I don't want to call it a mental health break because I know conferences can be quite stressful, but it is giving you that break away from your desk. Mm. Absolutely. And that's, that would have been my next question, like in terms of, this is not just writing the PhD, we also have conferences, publications, all that good stuff. And then teaching on top of that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of the volume of conferences and publications, how did you manage that extra workload? And did your supervisor give you like a certain number of conferences that you had to attend and publications? How did you manage that? So I was never given a set number. So I really concentrated on going to conferences in my second year. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to maybe one or two in my first year, but just to listen, I didn't give a paper. Mm-hmm. And then in my second year, I really focused on attending conferences and giving papers. And then I don't think I really went to any in my third year. I might have gone to one, maybe. There's a big um, Victorian um, you know, association conference. So I probably went to that one and gave a paper, but um, I really kind of centered that um, in my second year. And then from those conferences, I got a couple of um, publication opportunities, which then 
that was kind of my focus in my third year. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, having that mindset and kind of spreading that out across the years um, was really helpful um, and also kind of matched with where I was at different stages of my PhD. So obviously in in the second year, I was kind of trying out different ideas, you know, writing quite a few different chapters. So that was really helpful to go to conferences and speak to people. And then in my third year, I was kind of really refining what I'd already written. So then that was really helpful to kind of have have those publications um, alongside. Again, I kind of treated conferences and publications as just added things I could put on my CV, which were going to, you know, benefit me in the long, long run. And they definitely have, even though I haven't, you know, continued in academia, the skills that I learned at conferences and through writing publications, you know, have definitely like bolstered my examples. And I've been in interviews since then. Amazing. Yeah. I feel like there's loads of transferable skills that just, you know, they just come, you don't even realize it that you acquire them, but they just, after the three years, you're like, oh yes, I did. I did actually learn that, you know, you don't even notice at the time. But then when yeah. you look back, it's actually, oh, yes, you know, I did learn quite a bit, even yeah. even if you, and that's one of the things about the PhD, right? The progress that you have across the three years or four years or the the program, the length of the program, it's so minute every day that yeah. it's only when you look back at it retrospectively that you realize how much you've actually done and how much yeah. you've learned. And that is one of the things that I definitely took away from it because at the time I was very impatient. I was like, oh, I'm not learning anything. I'm not moving in any in, in a direction. I'm not really making a dent. But then when you print off your draft for the first time and you yeah. see like the stack of paper, it's actually, oh yeah, you know, you've done a lot of work. And th- yeah. in the same vein, it's like, oh yeah, I've acquired a lot of new skills. And same with teaching. And I know you were teaching as well. And mm-hmm. I know it wasn't your favorite. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not like me. I love teaching. Um, but so how in terms of like the workload, because obviously teaching is a lot. It's a lot. Of work. Where did you build that in? Not just the times when you were actually like in the classroom. But of course, there's a lot around in terms of prep in terms of marking essays how did you build that into your day-to-day yeah I think particularly the prep work so the kind of the so my expertise is very much Victorian literature um and the courses that I was teaching you know ranged from teaching kind of Shakespeare one week to teaching like William Blake to teaching um maybe like Virginia Woolf you know so it was like a massive range Mm. um you know and books that I'd never read before or certainly you know maybe I had read but only for kind of pleasure not not to teach um so I did have to make sure that I put you know I would say at least half a day a week normally like day to day not including marking um aside kind of get that prep work done so get that reading done um and then sort of also lesson plan as well I think as I went on, I got a lot better at lesson planning because you get to know your groups and you kind of know, I'm sure, I'm sure you probably think the same with this. You kind of get to know what they respond to and what they like. So whether they like like big group discussions or actually whether they work better with like kind of very small, like pairs work sort of thing. Um, So I think that just comes from practice really that you, that you learn that. Um, The marking is definitely a struggle um, to fit that in. (laughs) 
it comes, I would say, at points in the year. So I don't know what it is in other countries, but definitely in the UK, you tend to get marking in like January and then kind of, well, probably like now, actually, probably kind of like May, June yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the May, June one is a bit more of a struggle because that normally clashes with conference season. Mm-hmm. Um, so you definitely have got to do a bit more forward planning for that. But in January, normally it's quite quiet. So I'd only be working on my PhD during January. I wouldn't be right. doing like research trips or things like that. So um I found that rather than try and mark and do my PhD at the same time, just take however many days I thought it was going to be. So let's say a week out and just mark for a week. Um, right. I, so block kind of. Yeah. It wasn't like that you did a small bit every day. You just took a block chunk out and that was just it. Just took a block. Yeah. Right. And then worked out. So say I had like 30 papers, you know, to mark. Be like, okay, so I have to do like seven a day, for example. Right. Um, and then just really stick to those targets. Yeah. Because I yeah. did it, I kind of did it the other way around because, like, the way I would split my days was morning. Because I'm like you, I work best in the mornings. Yeah. So I would always protect that, like, research and writing time in the morning, those four mm-hmm. hours, you know, from nine to lunchtime. But then the afternoons would be, like, my teaching and admin kind of bit of the day. And that's when I would do, like, the... And I would only do, like, two or three essays or that I could mark. Yeah, you know, and one they take a long time in one afternoon. They just take a long ass time, um. But then it just like it all those small chunks started to add up. But I do like the idea of also like just blocking time out because then it's not constantly in the back of your mind. Oh, I still need to mark twenty essays, eighteen essays, sixteen essays. Do you know? Yeah, depending on you know what the work preference really is, and I know it's kind of it came natural to us because we are just those kind of those type of workers right but (laughs) is there just on reflection is there anything that you would have done differently any like downsides that you notice now that we're a good while out of the program any downsides to having done it in like such a quote-unquote shorter amount of time yeah definitely I think you know on reflection I I I guess two things so I think I could have done more like conferences and probably publications more um if I'd have you know let's say taken an extra year um but I think the other thing although I'm you know I'm really proud of what my PhD was on I'm really proud of what I've written I think if I maybe I'd have taken a bit longer I would maybe have refined it a bit more so Mm. I actually worked out that the last chapter that I wrote the subject was so interesting and I probably could have written my entire PhD about it and I'm not upset that I didn't do that but I think you know, maybe if I'd have kind of taken a bit longer, I would have kind of weaved in some of those themes throughout the PhD um, a bit more. So, yeah, I don't, you know, I think it's what works best for each person. But I think particularly if you want to carry on in academia, I think it's probably worth spending that bit of extra time and getting those extra things like on your CV. Yeah. What about you? I'm interested to know what you think. I feel the exact same way. In terms of like writing my PhD, I'm still happy with what I did the way I did it. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that I needed, especially coming towards the end of my second year, I didn't know. I was like just about to start my last chapter, but I still didn't know what my last chapter was going to be. Yeah. And I only really got inspiration you know, at a conference when, and I can, I can pinpoint the exact moment because I, I was so lost. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do in terms of like my main argument, how I was going to structure it, where I was, what I wanted to look at next. Mm-hmm. And 
<laughs> we were <laughs> on the way back from a day out. It was a four week conference and they had one day block to do sightseeing with everyone. And it was in the States. So obviously the travel times between places is like really yeah. long. And the bus driver took a wrong turn and it was like 11 p.m. We were all exhausted. We were on the back <laughs> of the bus and they just went in a completely wrong direction and added like half an hour to the trip. And I was talking to one of the delegates who's now a close friend and um, just having that chat, it's only then that it clicked what I was going to do. Like just talking through my ideas with someone else from a different background, yeah. with different research. And that just really allowed me to sharpen, to even come up and then sharpen my idea because the conversation just had something click in me, that bit of inspiration that I needed. But it's kind of the same like if I had wanted to stay in academia I feel like I could have broadened and deepened my network a small bit more yeah and what I mean by that obviously like you were really good because you stuck to your gender slash Victorian <laughs> special specialist field right your specialization yeah i change right we both come from, yeah. from Victorian background I moved into contemporary trauma studies and American literature and partly American literature and so I was at the start forced into that mode of oh you need to be an Americanist now and I've talked about it ad nauseum on the show that <laughs> it took me a long while to reclaim my research identity and to be mm -hmm. like no I am a 19th century scholar my idea developed out of something that came out of the 19th century that I am taking on now and like moving it into contemporary fiction but that doesn't mean that I need to go to all these Americanist contemporary conferences because I yeah. felt I felt like an imposter like I was studying Victorian literature 19th century literature from undergrad to postgrad in a very intense way mm -hmm. and I just didn't have the skill set to answer to people essentially from a different field and that just made me feel absolutely horrible. And it was only really towards the end of my second year that I started to reclaim that part of my research identity and be like, no, I am a Gothic scholar. I am a 19th century scholar. I am a Victorian scholar. Like my PhD yeah. is not on that. I'm adding to my skill set, but that's not fully who I am. And yeah. I wish, I really wish I would have had more time with, being comfortable with reclaiming that and just having an extra year of saying okay let me take the theories that I'm using now in my PhD that weren't really akin to what I was doing before as a 19th century Victorian scholar um, and merge them together and do some publications mm -hmm. or go to another conference where I felt comfortable and amongst people I knew where I could push the envelope by implementing PhD research and my special, my specialist fields, right? Yeah. And I I do regret not sticking up for myself more at the time at the start of my PhD, but also I didn't know any better. But on on reflection, right, you just grow with the program. And I, you do. I really wish now looking back at it, I would have had, I didn't need the, the extra year to write more. I think it would have harmed my project more than it would have helped. Yeah. But at the same time, I would have loved to have more time for the extra stuff. 
to publish a small yeah. bit more, to like go down a road here. Because like now that we've moved out of academia and we're in civil service and other jobs, right? Industry jobs. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find that time and to keep that university yeah. affiliation to be able to publish. Um, yeah. So just to have that and even just to like deepen my networks, like some of the friends I made at the conferences that I then attended that fit my research feels more I wish I had more of that mm-hmm. and that's kind of one of the regrets but also I was so like I had my blinkers on and I needed to finish in three years so I didn't allow myself to like have that and then the pandemic hit obviously and nobody was going to conferences anyways so you know yeah <laughs> there is that's that. a whole other podcast <laughs> <laughs> there is that um, but that is one of the things where sometimes I look back on and I'm like ah, oh, yeah that would have been nice. Yeah, maybe it's like, I think we've yeah. both said that it's almost like taking a step back and giving yourself that perspective. Yeah. So maybe it's not about, you know, is three years right, is four years right? Obviously, there's no answer to that. Yeah. But it's just whatever your goal is, just to take a step back and kind of assess where you are and what you want to get out of it. And I think probably if both of us had done that, I'm not saying it would have taken us, you know, we would have taken that extra year, but maybe that would have kind of helped in the long term and maybe we would have achieved some of these goals that we've just spoken about. Yeah, exactly. And I was just thinking, because obviously we both did it in three years, but obviously I took an extra two years to even get to that point. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back at it, because I know when we started our MA, even before Mm -hmm. the first term was over, you were already writing your PhD proposal, even before Christmas, right? Yeah. Even before Christmas. I think I'd submitted before Christmas. You did, you did. I I distinctly remember thinking, what am I even doing here? (laughs) (laughs) I felt so like the imposter syndrome was off the charts. Um, On reflection, like, do you think it was good to immediately go into the PhD or looking back now, Mm. would you have, you know, maybe taken a year out or... What do you think? No, I, so for me, the master's was very much a vehicle to do the PhD. Mm. Like I just saw the master's as, be totally honest, a year I had to get through to right. go to the, get to the PhD. My master's dissertation, it it never ended up being included in my PhD because it's like, you obviously have to cut things. But my master's dissertation would have been pretty much the research for a chapter of my PhD so I very much used the master's as like a stepping stone yeah so for me no I it worked really well to just go straight like from one to the other but I'm very much that person I'm always like how to get from A to B and I don't stop in between yeah um and I will always be like that that's you know that's just I guess how my brain works um I I was definitely like you and I struggled to come up with a PhD topic. So I kind of knew what I wanted it to be about. And then I started to do some research and I was like, oh, there's a lot in that area, like already. There's not room for me. You know, I used to spend ages just like Googling different things to be like, has anybody written on this? Like, can I write on this? But as soon as that idea clicked, um, I was like, no, I just, I just want to start writing about this now. Yeah. Um, and I loved the dissertation part of the master's, but to me the modules were just an extension kind of of the undergrad and it was taking me away from what I actually wanted to research and write on I think that's a fabulous way to look at it because I remember some of our seminars that were just very painful (laughs) and again I I talked about it on the show right the the occasional romantic poetry and romantic poets seminar that 
you know, quite a struggle to get through. Like, fair, yeah. fair play if you can do romantic poetry or poetry in general. Not for me personally. I applaud you if you can, but... It's not a skill of ours, is it? <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> no, definitely not. So. I would say the only thing as maybe like a note of caution from going straight to from master's to PhD, um, or I guess two things, is one, because I didn't choose to do my PhD at the same university as I did my master's, mm-hmm. um, I do think that was slightly detrimental to some relationships um, because they kind of knew that I was already in my head kind of moving on. On the way out, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then second, you do have to do a lot of overlap. So if you are going to go straight from master's to PhD, I'd really recommend doing your master's dissertation about something that you think is going to be in your PhD. Right. Um, because it saved me so much time when I started my PhD in terms of background reading. Like I'd already done a lot of the background reading. Um, and while that, so it was about a particular author, while that author wasn't a major part of my PhD, it still set kind of a really good, like kind of, groundwork I guess like Mm. some foundations for the PhD um so I think that would be my top tip because otherwise if you're writing on something completely different you're gonna have to do in so much work at the same time I just don't think that's feasible I don't even know how you did it with almost the same topic (laughs) quite quite (laughs) honestly I remember the time when we were like writing theses and you had so much other stuff on top of that as well so yeah definitely massive overlap and whilst we are top tips to round off the conversation right there's a couple of things that I ask every guest so let's dive into it so um speaking of like reflection and all that good stuff what's some Mm -hmm. advice that you would give your first year phd self looking back okay i think two things Mm -hmm. one very practically i would set i would give myself the advice to set a word limit for the first year Right. To really like bring some focus to that first year. So that, you know, it could be whatever it whatever it you think's gonna work for you, whether that's like ten thousand or thirty thousand words. But I think that really, really helps to bring some focus to that first year and kind of not get lost. Yeah. And I think second, probably my advice would just be to like enjoy it. Like, it's an amazing experience. And even if you continue in academia, you are never going to get that amount of time to basically solely dedicate to one project ever again. You're never, ever going to have that experience and have, you know, an amazing supervisor who dedicates so much time and effort to your project. You know, you will never have that again. So just kind of enjoy it. Take on as many experiences as possible. I mean, like we went to a conference together and that was so much fun. So do that kind of stuff. You know, if there's publication options, like go for it. Obviously, don't take on too much, but, you know, just lap it all up, really. And, and, you know, enjoy it and say yes to things because it's such a wonderful experience. It is. Looking back now, I regret not having enjoyed it more in the moment. (laughs) <laughs> really because like again it's like means to an end right and that's how yeah. that's that's the mindset that you're in but if you like really pause a second and like think about okay stop comparing yourself to others and really think about okay it's a privilege what I'm doing at the moment right yeah so yeah definitely and get to enjoy like you know you set your own working hours so right? you know if actually you don't work very well in the morning have a lay in and start later you can't do that when you have a you know 
official nine to five jobs so, so true. you know enjoy it and do what works for you do little things like that there's nothing wrong with that you can hear the pain in our voices <laughs> now that we have nine to fives <laughs> we can't just go out in the sunshine <laughs> so true. and any productivity hack that worked really really good for you oh so i'm a big fan of like a spreadsheet and a list so I think Agreed. like at the start of the day or even maybe the night before, do a to-do list, but do it realistically. Don't write like, oh, I'm going to write chapter one tomorrow. That's never going to happen. You know, just set yourself, I'm going to write a thousand words tomorrow. Um, and also I would do um, a spreadsheet kind of of kind of planning, maybe maybe do it like every quarter. So what the next like three months are going to look like. Um but don't be so set in stone. So when opportunities arise, you know, allow yourself to kind of go with that and change what you've got down on paper. But I think I think that's probably my biggest productivity hack. Love a good spreadsheet. Love flexibility Hello. within a spreadsheet. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and is there anything that you want to touch on that we haven't talked about yet? I don't think so. I feel like we've gone into quite a lot of detail, you know, about kind of how we did it and what we would have done differently if we'd done it again. So no, I think we've covered everything. Brilliant. To finish the episode off, where can people find you on the interwebs, Catherine? Um, they can't. Like, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they can't. Um, so you're going to ask me a question now, and I very elusive. don't know. I know, and I don't know what any of my like handles are or anything. Um, so they can find me um on Instagram at Unbroken Spines. I still post on there book recommendations. Um, but I think that's about it. Brilliant. Fantastic. So, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on, taking the time to chat with me and share your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for listening to this episode. We, of course, want to hear from you. If you um, are doing your PhD in a short amount of time, let us know. And we want to hear your experiences. Reach out to us um, on Instagram and Twitter at PhDPenningPod or write an email to PhDPenningPod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the episode, we have two options for you where you can support the show. Number one is our Patreon, where you can support us regularly and also get access to extra content. Um, or if you prefer a once-off donation, we also have our Buy Me A Coffee page so we can keep creating content for you. And we will see you again here in two weeks' time. Bye. Bye. This episode of PhD Pending was written and produced by me, Anne Mahler. Artwork by Jerome Kelleher. Support the show and rate us five stars in your favorite podcast app. You can also subscribe to our Patreon for exclusive bonus content, or if you prefer a once-off donation, head to our Buy Me A Coffee page. The links to both are in the show notes. You can find the show on Instagram and Twitter at phdpenningpod, or send an email to phdpenningpod at gmail.com. Thank you.